What's up, everybody? You're listening to Sports with Phil, episode 8. In this episode, I'm going to bring on a diehard football fan, a Chargers fan, and my friend slash fraternity brother, Bren. This is the third fraternity brother I'm bringing on, but you know what? It's about football, and if I know anybody who knows football just as much as the next guy, it's my friend, Bren. I know that he's going to be giving a very intellectual conversation. He's going to go very deep into everything that we go into. We're going to discuss the upcoming NFL season. We discuss Travis Kelsey and George Kittle's new contracts. We discuss what you know, just the possibilities for this endless NFL season. And it's going to be a whirlwind, you know, with Corona still going on and everything like that. There will be no fans. Training camps are starting. There's no preseason games getting played. But we're going to discuss all of that in this new episode of Sports with Phil, episode eight. I hope that you will enjoy it. Yo, what up, Brian? What's going on? All right. So I've already told everybody what we want to talk about in the introduction. So first thing I just want to get into, Travis Kelsey and George Kittle, Two tight ends in the NFL right now got new contracts. First thoughts about each contract. What do you think? So, George Kittle absolutely de- deserved it. Mm-hmm. Five years, seventy-five million. That's his. That's his contract. That's that's. You think it's he's deserved? The, like he's the key piece of that offense, mm-hmm. and he's a guy like Jason Witten used to be for the Cowboys. When you need him, he's always open. Absolutely, I agree. And then you have Kelsey, obviously, and you know, just keep in mind these are definitely the top two tight ends in the NFL right now, and they both played each other in the Super Bowl this year. So, what are your thoughts about Kelsey's contract? Kelsey's contract is paying him fifty-seven and fifty-seven point twenty-five million dollars. He's getting an average of fourteen point three million for, I believe, four years. It's four years. So, what are your takes on that? I can't believe they're able to pay him like that. I can't believe they're able to pay anybody anymore. The I, how how do they still have like a budget? I mean, they've literally paid they paid half a billion to Mahomes. You think they'd just be out of money, basically? And then they they're just still signing everybody like it's nothing. Not even like they're signing them. They're signing them to long term contracts, and they're signing them to multi million dollar contracts too. It's I can't believe it. Honestly, I, it's it's ridiculous. So. Who do you think – so you think Kittle deserves the contract more than Kelsey deserves the contract, or do you believe they're both equally deserved uh, contracts? I think they both earned it. They're both great players. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if I was building a team and I wanted a tight end, I would go more towards Kittle, mm-hmm. but Kelsey is still a great tight end. I mean, and this is the thing, too. You talk about Kittle being a key offensive piece. I mean – that Garoppolo offense with Kittle is was was a monster to watch. Basically, I mean Kittle was just unbelievable to watch at tight end this year. You know the same thing goes to Kelsey too. Kelsey's you know main guy is Mahomes, and obviously both you have two great quarterbacks. And like I said, both of those teams saw each other in the Super Bowl this year. So there's reason to believe that it's not the only time that we see these two teams you know fighting for championships for at least the next five six years. I would say at least. But, you know, it's it's definitely a good thing to watch. And I think it's – I like to see, you know, both of these guys get very uh, equally deserved pay. You know, I like watching them play. I think a lot of fans and everybody like that, you know, even just not even with the exception of 49er fans and Chiefs fans, watching these two guys play is just entertainment television on Sundays. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they – I think they're, you know, just – like I said, if you want to watch them in prime time, I mean, if we had a Sunday night game, 
you know, with Kelsey and Kittle, you know, Mahomes against Garoppolo, it would be just insane to watch again. I mean, we saw it Super Bowl Sunday and, you know, seeing it again would immediately bring viewership to the NFL. It would be just a, it would just be a huge thing for the NFL to see it again. I mean, we saw how entertaining it was back in February and watching it was just such a, was a great game to watch all the way through the four quarters. I mean, you know, even if they weren't key pieces in that game, you know, just knowing that this, that's the talent that both teams have, whether it's on offense or defense, you know, you saw a great Super Bowl and knowing that both of those guys are now locked up long-term for, you know, the foreseeable future, it's definitely a very exciting thing to watch. So the next question I just want to ask really quickly is, do you think, obviously, this is obviously, I've said it before, but do you think this is the only time we see the Chiefs and the 49ers meet in the Super Bowl? Back I think. Back, like back in I, February, I was asking that. Do you think it'll be the only time? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say that they both get to the Super Bowl again, but against other people. Mm-hmm. And to backtrack on the Kelsey and Kittle thing, I think you got to look at what this means for other tight ends that mm-hmm. are coming up. Like that, Zach Ertz. People were talking about Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz and Hunter Henry is coming up too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these guys are like great tight ends, and tight ends often go underpaid. Oh no, so I agree, is... and especially if you know they could be putting up very, I would say they could put up like six, seven hundred yards, or eight hundred yards, maybe. But they're such underrated pieces to their team. I mean, Zach Ertz. I mean, when they, I didn't even think about that until someone brought up his name. You know, they're talking about Kelsey and Kittle contracts. You know, thinking about Ertz, he can definitely be in for a good payday. I would say, I would, I would give him. I don't know how much I would give him, but Ertz, I think, is definitely in for a big payday from the Eagles. But who knows if Philly would want to pay him, honestly, because they're thinking about how Dallas Goddard, he was a key piece for them on their way to the playoffs this year. But I don't think I would pay Goddard over Ertz, honestly. I think that. Oh, no, I think Ertz is definitely, a, he's like a Pro Bowl talent. Oh, absolutely. And when you look at from my, on the West Coast, I'm a Chargers fan. Mm-hmm. I, I see Hunter Henry. And Joey Bosa just got paid. He's from the same draft class. Yeah, absolutely. Hunter Henry's acting on the franchise tag this year. He's waiting to get paid. And he's now in an offense where he's going to be the dependable guy. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have Keenan Allen and Mike Williams down the field. But Taylor, a quarterback, he's going to want those short throws to Hunter Henry all the time. Yeah, and I'm looking, so, at, uh, I'm looking at Hunter Henry's stats from 2019. I mean, he had 55 receptions for... 652 yards and he averaged 11.9 yards and he had five touchdowns so I agree on the offensive side I think it could be a very big year for him offensively you know and and you think do you think that you'll be able to see Justin Herbert play yet this season or do you think you don't see him starting at all you think it'll be Tyrod Taylor for right now I think the beginning of the year is Tyrod but I wouldn't. I would never say never about Herbert, mm-hmm. especially with COVID, this whole thing going on. Who knows if Tyrod gets it? Who's the next man up? It's Justin Herbert. They're not going to throw Easton Stick in the game. Mm-hmm. They're going to throw Herbert in. Yeah. And if it's like Cleveland with Tyrod, they're going to throw Herbert in if he sucks. Mm-hmm. If week three and Tyrod is starting to like slow down. They're gonna throw Herbert in. Oh yeah, they I just I I think they so used so. the overall pick on him. Yeah, that's the thing too. And you have a team that's moving on that obviously moved on from 
you know, Philip Rivers, he's a member of the Indianapolis Colts for this season. You know, it's it's definitely um, something that you want to watch down in L.A. And, and I think it's, you know, an interesting story to develop, too, is, you know, the quarterback battle between a, a rookie, you know, who was drafted high overall in his draft class. And obviously Tyrod Taylor has, you know, he's made some noise sometimes, but other times it's like, OK, that was a little bit too high. Maybe we shouldn't have given this guy the attention that we should have given him. But. You know, for right now, you're talking about proving yourself. And, you know, if Tyrod Taylor isn't good within the first two, three weeks of the season, then obviously you're going to throw in Justin Herbert just to see what he can do. And obviously, if you have a situation where you see Herbert is immediately better than Taylor, obviously, you know, Herbert will get the starts that he gets. And I've been watching the uh, the hard knocks on HBO. And, and Herbert just is a – he seems to be like he's a very – I don't know if it's the right word to describe him because I – I saw some of his college highlights in Oregon, but I really think he's an accurate thrower. I don't know if you agree with that, but I really like the accuracy on his throws. I think his talent is all there. Mm-hmm. And even coming into the NFL with the draft, people were saying he needs leadership. Uh-huh. He needs to learn how to lead that locker room, and that's why he has to sit. It's nothing about his talent on the field. Mm-hmm. He can run. He's got a great arm. He's got a cannon. But he needs to learn how to lead, mm-hmm. just like Patrick Mahomes. Oh, yeah. Pat Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith for a year because he needed to learn how to lead. And then he learned. Mm. There's a big difference. Just, there is a big difference, though, between sitting behind someone like Alex Smith, who's definitely gone far in playoff runs before, than when you're sitting behind someone like Tyrod Taylor, though. There's definitely a big oh, difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think their biggest mistake of the offseason was getting rid of Phillip Rivers. Mm-hmm. You look at their cap space, they could have afforded him. Because you can't even say, oh, well, they went out and got all these big acquisitions. They couldn't afford Phillip Rivers. Mm -hmm. They went out. They got Chris Harris on a relatively cheap deal. They got Linval Joseph and Brian Bilaga. Mm -hmm. They still have a ton of cap space left, enough to, like, pay Phillip Rivers. Yeah, I I, I agree. It's only a one-year deal. So why not bring Phillip Rivers back for this one last year? Because he's obviously in the later stages of his NFL career. You know, I, I don't understand why they could have just brought back Rivers for a year. You draft Herbert, obviously, for his potential replace for his most likely replacement, obviously. And if you have, let's say, Tyrod Taylor is like a fourth string, it's not terrible, but it's also like not the ideal situation. You're not looking at, you know, oh, it's going to be Philip Rivers and then it's going to be Tyrod Taylor. You're looking at it in the sense of it'll be Philip Rivers and then it could be Justin Herbert. So I don't understand you know, what the big deal was. And, and especially for a guy like Philip Rivers, who had literally played an AFC championship game on a torn ACL against the New England Patriots in 2007. I just don't understand why, you know, I, I just don't understand the reasoning, you know, for not bringing back Philip Rivers. I really don't see the reasoning behind it. I think a lot of it is, uh, it's Anthony Lind, because he has that history in Buffalo. He really liked Tyrod, and I'm pretty sure he was thinking in his mind, okay, we know we're going to draft a quarterback this year, but if I re-sign Phil Rivers, I'm going to have to let go of Tyrod. And I think he's, like, looking after Tyrod in a way. Mm-hmm. He sees something in him. Hopefully, I, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope Tyrod goes out there and wins games for us, but it's just why would you give all your fans that uncertainty mm-hmm. about we're letting our star guy, who I'm someone who grew up a Chargers fan, Almost all of my jerseys are Philip Rivers jerseys. Mm-hmm. 
He's my favorite player of all time, and now I have to watch him in a Colts jersey just because Anthony Lynn happens to really like Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> that, that bugs me a bit, but I've moved on from it, and I'm just accepting it at this point. Mm-hmm. But Tyrod has never been on a team with this much talent. Like, oh, Buffalo yeah. didn't have this much talent. Cleveland was arguably the closest he got, but even still, Baker was looming behind him. And he struggled a little bit. They threw Baker in. So I'm hoping, even if they have to throw Herbert in, this team, you can never count them out. No, I They agree. upgraded the O-line. They're, they have great receivers. They have Austin Eckler at running back. And the defense is top tier. So if Tyrod's ever going to do something in this league, it's right now. Mm-hmm. If he can't do anything with this team, I don't trust Tyrod at all. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I look at that Chargers you know, I, I like the defense a lot too. I really, really like Bosa. Obviously, the Bosas are just the Bosas are just a family of NFL players that are just monsters. You know, defensively. You know, they. Uh, I forget how much Bosa is getting. You know, Joey Bosa is getting. He's getting, I believe, over a hundred million dollars. I forget how long it is though. A uh, hundred. It's a hundred and thirty-five million over five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So High just like just like that. Player ever. Yeah, it's a player you want locked up for the foreseeable future, obviously, and. And Bosa could definitely be a big piece in this Chargers defense. And, you know, like you said, the Chargers are that team that you can never really exactly count them out. I mean, honestly, when they went into Baltimore a few years ago and and just demolished Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, you know, you think to yourself, maybe they have a shot at beating the Patriots. And obviously they, they crumbled against the Patriots, but that was a team that was just fun to watch almost that entire season when they were winning a lot more games. And they came close to you know, beating out the Chiefs for the division in that season. They were, a very, they, were, they were a very fun team to watch. They were a game away. And I can tell you, I was at that game in Baltimore. And the Baltimore fans were absolutely deflated. There was Flacco chants all throughout the stadium because Lamar had negative eight passing yards in the first half. Mm-hmm. The Chargers just, they game planned against him. Mm-hmm. Anthony Lynn threw seven safeties at a time against Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And then he got out coached against Belichick. Yeah. And it's the same thing that happened to McVay. And it's the same thing that happened to Andy Reid. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's just, you can never out coach Bill Belichick. As much as much as you want to out out coach him, you almost can never out coach him. He's always ten steps ahead of you. Always ten steps ahead. Doesn't matter what part of the game it is or what game it is. It doesn't matter if it's preseason week one or regular season week 17. It doesn't matter. Belichick's always 10 steps ahead of you almost. Doesn't, it, it literally will never matter. So I look at the, you know, I, I like I said, I've been watching the hard knocks lately. And, and, you know, obviously there's a big risk too with the players, obviously, with, you know, obviously the whole thing with, you know, Corona going on right now and everything like that. But the way that it seems, the Chargers are definitely taking the, necessary precautions and measures that they have to do and everything like that. You know, I just thinking about it, I'm not too worried about that. It's, it's literally a whatever situation, you know, I, I don't have a lot of ton of fear that NFL players have much to worry about, but definitely what I've been noticing too in, in this, you know, I, I really think this is something that we should discuss also is when I was watching the hard knocks yesterday, uh, Jalen Ramsey was talking about the, the new contract that he might get and everything like that. And he was getting interviewed all, all via zoom call and he storms out of it because he just gets so mad because he doesn't want to talk about it. So in your opinion, 
you know, do you really think Jalen Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey hypes himself up as this highly talented cornerback who's a shutdown corner and, you know, he's the best in the game. I, I mean, in all honesty, do you believe that Jalen Ramsey gives himself way too much credit than he actually deserves? I think he hypes himself up a lot, and a lot of people do that. And sometimes it's best to be cocky. Mm-hmm. Look at a guy like Jamal Adams, who now is in Seattle in a great spot. And it's mainly because he hypes himself up. Mm-hmm. And he he backs it up, too. He's one of the best safeties in the league. I Jalen agree. Ramsey, I would put him in the top five corners mm. in the league. So I really – everybody's going to, like, once you're up there, once you've hit those Pro Bowls, once you've gotten to a Super Bowl, you're looking at yourself like, okay, here we go. Like, I know I'm one of the best, and I'm going to let everybody know that I'm one of the best so they don't forget yeah, that I'm one I, of the yeah. best. Yeah, and I think Ramsey is definitely looking for a big contract because obviously he is still on his rookie contract. The Rams gave up a gave up a, a a big one. You know, they gave up a big contract, a lot of draft picks in order to acquire Jalen Ramsey, and they didn't even make the playoffs last season. You know, the, my biggest worry for the Rams going into this season, you know, and I really think it's a legitimate concern, is Jared Goff. I don't like. I don't think Jared Goff is really that good of a quarterback whatsoever. I think he. I think he's a very inaccurate passer. I don't think he hits his targets in the right spots. I just don't see this hype around Jared Goff. And I, I'm not trying to discredit him at all because obviously the Rams were the best team in the NFC a few short years ago. And they went to the Super Bowl when they lost against the New England Patriots. But And they also have Aaron Donald, who is you know, arguably the best defensive player in the entire league right now. You know, and, and you know, just looking at their wide receiver targets, obviously they have Cooper Cup. Um, I, I forget who else they got, but Cup is definitely one who I, I had in fantasy last year, and he would just absolutely dominate. I remember that so vividly and clearly. But just looking at a player like Jared Goff, and especially a quarterback like him, I just think that the Rams should be legitimately concerned if Goff has another you know down year, basically. I think so, too. I think Jared Goff is – he's basically – he's a little overhyped because mm-hmm. of McVay. McVeigh is such a great coach, and I'm pretty sure like he could coach Dak Prescott to an MVP year or Andy Dalton. It doesn't really matter who his quarterback is as long as they can remotely throw the ball and they've got a good team around them. But the Rams, their offensive line has been declining big time, and that messed with Jared Goff. And then they lost Farrow Cooper, mm-hmm. and they traded away Brandon Cooks, I believe. Yes, they did. I forget who they traded him away to, but he is gone. He's not on the team anymore. So your superstars are gone. Todd Gurley is gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about Gurley. Gurley's a big one that's gone. So I, Cooper Cup is great. I like Cooper Cup a lot. But is he going to carry this entire offense with just Jared Goff? Like when they were the best team in the NFC, he had Farrell Cooper and Brandon Cooks and Todd Gurley. And they even had C.J. Anderson for a lot of that. None of them are there anymore. Mm-hmm. No, none of them. Neither and... is the offensive line. Yeah, it's it's tough, and and you know, obviously, you think about you know some of these teams that are could go from potential Super Bowl contenders for years to come, and all of a sudden they seem to be one hit wonders. And the Rams, in my opinion, are you know very closely looking at being one of those teams that was just like a you know they they zanged and they should have zipped and everything like that, and it's not a good. 
it's really not a good thing for them at all because they were a team where when they lost to the Patriots, in my own head, I was thinking, you know what? The Rams may have lost to the Patriots, but this is exactly the steps that they wanted. They wanted to be this team that, you know, was going to prove to be a powerhouse team. And, you know, they're going to be a team in the NFC you're going to want to watch out for. And then all of a sudden the 49ers come out of nowhere the next year and they're just this dominant team all around in the NFC. So that's a big issue for the Rams this season, especially because if they are if they're a team that doesn't make the playoffs at all or doesn't even remotely compete with a team like the 49ers, it's it's like I said, it's a legitimate concern where they could possibly be one of those NFL teams that's just a one-hit wonder. You definitely worry about that. And you can also worry about that for the 49ers too. Mm-hmm. Can the 49ers repeat that success? Because I, I look at a team like Seattle. Seattle is consistently at the top of that division. Even if they don't make the playoffs as the division winner, they're usually always in as a wild card. And you can never count against them in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. The Cardinals are looking pretty good. You got Larry Fitz is there, but now you got DeAndre Hopkins. Who's legitimately the best wide, who's probably a top, not even top three, but I would say go to top two wide receiver in the NFL right now. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And Kyler Murray, who is like coming into his own as a quarterback. So if I'm the 49ers and the Rams, those two teams are coming from the rear. Mm-hmm. And they will step over the 49ers and Rams if they have to. Yes. So they have to step up their game. And the 49ers need to not get caught in that Super Bowl hangover. The Rams got it. The Falcons got it. The only team that didn't get it was the Patriots. The Patriots will never have a Super Bowl hangover for as long as they exist, honestly. It doesn't even matter. I mean, you look at it, you look at them now, I mean – even though they were eliminated in the wild card game against the Tennessee Titans and Tom Brady left, you could possibly bring you bring in Cam Newton, who is going to be on a mission this year. Cam Newton, in my opinion, is on a mission to prove to everybody that, yeah, I might be this player who's gotten injured a lot, and I definitely don't see myself as like this. I looked at people looked at me as a sore loser after losing Super Bowl Fifty to the Denver Broncos, but I want people to know that I'm on this mission this year to win back your hearts and tell you that. I was I was still an NFL MVP and Offensive Player of the Year. I'm still that Cam Newton that led the Carolina Panthers to a 15 and one season and just the easiest route that you can possibly imagine to the Super Bowl all the way back in 2015. You know, 2016 season. You know, I think that Newton, in my opinion, could if if it, it depends, but I think that Newton could definitely flourish under Belichick. But like, what are your takes on that? Uh, I'm a little skeptical. Because, uh, honestly, Cam Newton is a flashy player, mm. and he's always been a flashy player. He needs weapons. Yes. The Patriots don't have weapons. What has he got? Julian Edelman and an unsure Nikhil Harry. Maybe Sony Michelle. I don't trust it. There's no Gronk. There's no big top-level receiver. I like – and Belichick, he's used to – bland, kind of, I would argue, lame quarterbacks. Tom Brady's never one to do anything flashy, but he looks great under Belichick's system. Yes, and I, I think Cam is going to have a problem adjusting to that. Mm-hmm. And he's going to show people, hey, I still got it, but I'm being held back by this system, and they're going to lose games. So you, by, you next say- year, mm-hmm. By next year, I think he'll be on a different team, but people will be more inclined to take a chance on him because they'll see, like, oh, he's got it. Like, he's playing great. 
but Belichick's system's holding him back. Yeah. So my question to ask is, you know, you definitely would say, so would you even see the Patriots competing for the AFC East, or do you think it it definitely goes to the Buffalo Bills? I'm looking at the Bills all the way this year. I love the Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs duo now. I think that's a great. Uh, I think that's a great wide receiver pair right there, or duo quarterback wide receiver pair right there. I think they're great, and they have uh, Devin Singletary in the backfield. They have a great defense, a young defense, Mm -hmm. and I think they're out to prove something. They just extended Sean McDermott, and the the division is open for the taking. Who knows? I mean, never say never. Maybe the Jets or the Dolphins steps up and competes for it. I don't think so, but. The Bills, they're clear-cut favorites. I think the Patriots, Belichick might just, like, tank on purpose. That's a very Belichick thing to do. You think he would tank to get Trevor Lawrence at the number one overall pick for 2021? I think so. And and I think that he would waste Trevor Lawrence in a way. They would win games, absolutely, but he would just waste that potential. Because Trevor Lawrence... He's another, like, flashy quarterback. Very flashy. I mean, the guy barely, when he was, you know, at, at Clemson, you know, he's just, he's just this very, this, this quarterback that you just love to watch. And you just love to, you love to watch his highlights. Like you said, he's a very flashy player. And obviously against LSU when they lost, you know, it was, it was still an entertaining game because you had this Joe Burrow, Trevor Lawrence matchup. And Joe Burrow was obviously the number one overall pick in this year's draft. And, you know, next year it'll be Trevor Lawrence. So it's, it's exciting to watch these young athletes come up and, see their rise to stardom basically is starting off at the college level and proving themselves and winning national championship games and Heisman trophies, everything like that. So seeing these quarterbacks, you know, I, I, and this is the thing too, I'm going to get into Joe Burrow right now also is Joe Burrow is definitely someone who uh, he, he excites me to see how he'll translate to the NFL, but I don't know for right now. I think his first season, his rookie season, I don't think it's going to be anything special because I don't think Cincinnati really has has really that good of a team that they put around him right now. And obviously they were they were just an awful team last season. They tanked. But I, I'm I'm curious to know, do you think Burroughs college game with LSU translates a little bit to the NFL level, or do you think it just doesn't at all and he has to completely change his approach? I think that the offense that they're gonna be running in Cincinnati is gonna fit him, but not right away. Mm-hmm. They're gonna need to work out the kinks. And like you said, they don't have the team around him. So I don't expect much from the Bengals this year, but I think eventually they're going to keep losing games, acquiring draft picks, maybe even trading players, and they're going to end up with a really good team. Yeah. Five, ten years down the road, Joe Burrow could be an MVP quarterback. Yeah, Burrow is definitely someone who you just love to watch too. And obviously his rise also of, you know, not, you know, being with LSU his entire college career, obviously transferring to LSU, you know, just to see how he led the Tigers to this master, you know, this masterpiece of a season, you know, he's definitely someone who you just love to know that he's going to the NFL and he's going to a team that he's going to hopefully help bring out of the basement of the league and, you know, hasn't been relevant in a very long time. I mean, it seems that every time the Bengals even remotely go to a playoff game, that's it. They're done. It's like, Oh, the Bengals are in the playoffs? All right, we'll scratch it. It's probably going to be a loss because they haven't won a playoff game in, in over two decades now. They're a team that just every time they're in the playoffs, it's like almost guaranteed they're going to break your hearts. You know, and it's and there's been examples of it. You know, they they've fallen apart against the Colts, you know. Um, they've had, you know, Vontez Burford had a terrible, you know, 
late penalty against Antonio Brown that set up the game-winning field goal in that AFC wildcard game. You know, they, they've just had such low lights of moments where it's like, you know, why are they such a bad team? And they just – they shouldn't be a bad team in my opinion. They should have had, you know, good appearances and playoff runs and everything like that. I'm not exactly saying they should be Super Bowl contenders, but they should have been a team that could have been relevant for a while. And now everybody just looks at them as they're just another team basically. I think so, too. I think there was the years with, like, 2012 to 2015 when the Bengals were dominating in the regular season. But when they get to the playoffs, if you see that you're going up against the Bengals, you're just like, oh, all right, my team is good. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we're pretty much confirmed. We're going to the divisional round. Nice. Yeah, exactly. And I, I couldn't agree more. There's been multiple times where – you know, people just, they get excited for obviously a playoff game and especially an NFL playoff game. And then all of a sudden there's a team like the Bengals, they fall apart. And, and, you know, I always remember watching that, you know, that Vontez Burfitt hit on Antonio Brown back in 2016, you know, or I think it was 2016, but still it was just a brutal hit. And it, and it, it, it was, they were seconds away from sealing the deal and, and finally breaking that you know, that, that just horrible playoff streak of, you know, losing games and everything like that. And, and it just all fades away. So I think that Joe Burrow, obviously people looked at Andy Dalton as, you know, a, a good quarterback. He wasn't a great quarterback, but I think he was a pretty good quarterback. And now they'll have Joe Burrow to replace, to replace Dalton and everything like that. And, you know, I think Burrow is definitely the right guy in Cincinnati. I think the, the Bengals are definitely going to be looking at him as a saving grace They'll look at him as the player who could definitely lead them to the promised land. And hopefully, you know, you said five to 10 years, if he gets an MVP and is just showing signs of greatness, you know, you can definitely hope that. But I don't understand. I don't really know if that'll happen with Burrow. Obviously, only time will tell where where we'll look back on this and we'll say, yeah, he definitely panned out to be the player that we thought he would be. Or he just panned out to be this player who is just mediocre in the NFL, basically. So I'm definitely excited to see Burrow. And, you know, this is something that I want to get into with this. There's no preseason games, obviously, due to coronavirus. So in your opinion, do you think that this will affect the players in a negative way at not playing any preseason games at all? I think the players that were set to be backups, rookies that haven't proven themselves yet, it's screwing with them. Mm -hmm. Because the coaches are now going to have to go solely based off of practice and training camp. They can't even have joint practices. There's a lot. There's a lot of rules to follow for protocol wise in the NFL this year. There's a lot of a lot of things that have to take place, and it sucks because you know that's the that's how you know that football season is upon us when it's the first or second week of August and you realize that you're getting football back. But this time around. We won't have our first NFL kickoff game until the second week of September. Yeah, it's crazy. Honestly, like, I feel bad for some of these players, like, undrafted players. You look at Austin Eckler, the running back of the Chargers. He was undrafted. He proved himself in the preseason. And now he has this nice four-year deal. He's a starting running back of the team. Undrafted rookies from this year really don't have that much of an opportunity to prove things. Mm Mm-hmm. Antonio Gates was undrafted. Tony Romo was undrafted. Like all these players that go unnoticed, and then they pop out and they end up being stars. Mm-hmm. So, so now it's hard to tell. Like imagine, and and you think about, you talk about all those players that were just 
undrafted like Gates and Romo and everything like that. Like imagine them being dropped into the year 2020. These guys are undrafted. You know, some of them could have terrible practices, but have just amazing preseason games. And that catches the coach's eyes of, wow, like even though he didn't run this route, you know, well in, in practice or he didn't complete this pass in practice, like he's completing it in game. And that's obviously a big sign. Now you're talking about how coaches are going to have to go solely based off of practice and training camps. It's going to mess with the players a lot, especially these rookies and undrafted people and, you know, undrafted free agents and, you know, just backups too. It's going to mess with their heads a lot of, you know, what if he's so good in practice, but what if in the big game in the late fourth fourth quarter stands, he blows it. You know, there's, there's definitely, uh, there's some, there's definitely some worry there. And I, I couldn't agree more with you on that. Yeah, definitely. So definitely another thing I want to get into is I just I, I guess we can talk about this. You know, you're a Chargers fan, you know, before we get into it. So what exactly makes you a Chargers fan? Like, how did you grow up being a Chargers fan? Because we're, we're in Staten Island. So this is a, the forgotten borough of New York. So how did you become a Chargers fan growing up? So my dad was never a big football fan growing up. His parents never allowed them to watch football. They were a big baseball household. So my dad grew up like a Yankees fan. And then he enlisted in the Navy. He lived in San Diego for uh, nine years and became a fan, especially because in his free time when he was off the boat, he worked at Junior Seau's bar. Mm -hmm. So he knew Junior Seau and Mm -hmm. he would get opportunities to meet the team. And he just became a fan. So by the time I was born, by the time I was growing up, starting to watch football, my dad was always a Chargers fan, so mm-hmm. I would just root for the team. I would watch growing up. One of my favorite players of all time is LT, so I'd, I'd um, get to watch. Yeah, uh, great player of all time, almost one of the greatest running backs of all time. The the heyday with Rivers and LT and Gates and Malcolm Floyd on that team when they went to the AFC Championship game, when they had the best offense and defense in the NFL. Like, I look back on that when I was starting to watch football. Mm -hmm. And you attribute that to, like, the reason why you're such a big Chargers fan now? Oh, yeah. Now I'm diehard. Do you remember the first time you ever went to a Chargers game in California? Yeah, I actually do. It was uh, a few months ago. I had Mm -hmm. never been to a home game. I've been to away games. Like, I've seen them play the Jets, the Giants, the Ravens. Mm -hmm. Um. And I came up with this idea, my 21st birthday, that they were playing a home game against the Broncos a few days after my birthday. Mm-hmm. And I told my dad I mentioned to him. And a couple of days later, he's like, all right, I'm booking flights. We're going to L.A. That's awesome. So it was a great trip. It was nice. Did they, they, did they win? They, no, they, lost. Lost. they lost. And the, the stadium was all Broncos fans, but... It was still I, a know, good... I know that I know that the uh, the stadium that the Chargers played in isn't really it's, all, it's always just a, a it's, away, it's like an away it's like an away stadium for home fans basically home fans so they I, see it as a, a they see it as a home as a home game for away fans basically it's basically so I talked to a couple of people over there and a lot of people the stadium that they're in um or the soccer stadium that they were in yes was in a really bad neighborhood. Yeah, it's not, I've been I've been to that neighborhood because I've gone to a LA Galaxy game there, 
it's not it's it's really not the best of neighborhoods in LA, but it's no, not at all. And not, uh, not people remote. there, like the the days leading up, we did uh, we did tours around LA. I've been there before, but I've never done touristy stuff. We like went to Disney, and even talking to people in Disney, they were like, "Yeah, if the stadium was in any other part of LA, like I would go." And so, like, people were excited for this new stadium, and but they're like, "I'm not going to see a game when it's in Carson. I'll wait mm-hmm. till they're in the wood." Yeah, that's the the yeah the new stadium that's being built. I, I I forget the name of it, but you know, just just knowing that it, it's definitely something that the Chargers have had a problem with since leaving San Diego. Because I remember when they were still in San Diego, you know, fans would go crazy at those games. I, I'd see it on TV, and I was just like, these these fans are very very passionate about their football, basically, you know. And they 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 cursed you know Spanos for moving them out of San Diego, obviously, and it's something that the fans are never going to forget. But you know, it's it's not something where fans – after a while, fans are more focused on just how their team plays on the field than anything else. So I really enjoy – you know, I, I always just enjoy – even though I'm a Giants fan and it's been, you know, painful to watch. They've, it's, it has been painful to watch them. You know, the only time where it was acceptable to watch them the most recent year was, you know, 2016 where they had a literal Super Bowl contending defense of just amazing players like, you know, Janoris Jenkins and Landon Collins was coming up and – you know, you had just you just had a great defense too, and then you combine that with Eli sort of rejuvenating himself. Odell had a great year, everything like that. You know, the Giants, they're still a team that you know has just been exciting to watch at times. But even when you know I have NFL Red Zone and watching Red Zone every single Sunday, you just watch you know seven hours of football and just watching it. It's such it's just such a fun thing to do and everything like that. And especially when you see fans that are so passionate about the game and. You know, they'll be tailgating at six o'clock in the morning for a four o'clock game or an eight o'clock game. And just seeing the fans and everything like that, it's what makes football so great. So, you know, and I don't know what it's like, you know, especially M&T Bank Stadium, I, I hear is a crazy stadium. So if you could describe what it was like at a playoff game, especially you're an away fan visiting, what was it like the atmosphere like before the game even started? So before the game, me and my dad woke up like really early in the morning to get there. We got a hotel. Uh, they have this like stretch right outside the stadium that's hotels, casinos, and from what I've heard, it's the only nice area of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And so we get there, we check in. The hotel is all purple and gold, and all the Ravens logos all over the place. And we're wearing Charger jerseys. And the woman's like, "You sure you want to stay overnight?" And so we walk. It's a two-minute walk to the stadium. Beautiful stadium. Really nice. Mm-hmm. Like, it was great. We get there. Uh, the concession stand guy purposefully, like, we asked him for the largest cup, and the largest cup, like, has pictures of the Ravens on it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, don't worry. I have cups for you that don't have their faces on them. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> So they had to do that, and then we're walking up, and we're all the way up, and we had great seats. We are in a sea of purple with Ravens fans. And, and you're the just end, the ones wearing the blue jerseys, and you're just wearing the blue jerseys. We were wearing you're, white. Oh, you're the wearing the white, the white jerseys. I have this thing, if I'm going to a game, or even if I'm watching a game on TV, I always wear the color that my team is wearing. Mm-hmm. So like, if they're wearing powder blue, I'm wearing powder blue. If they're wearing white, I'm wearing white. Uh, I always make sure I have jerseys to wear. Uh-huh. 
but it was a great experience. And but by the end of the first half, the Ravens are getting killed. Lamar Jackson has negative passing yards, and he's given up three fumbles. Mm-hmm. And everybody's chanting for Flacco. And the halftime uh, show was the band American Authors. Mm-hmm. And people were booing them. They were just like, whatever, we don't care. That's, oh like, my God, we, they, were, they, they sounded just terrible that day. The they, were, they were all mad because they looked great during the regular season with Lamar, and now they're crumbling. And they're all basically like, I hate it here. This is, uh-huh. this is horrible. Every once in a while, I'd see a Chargers fan. I'm like, yeah, all right. I got somebody else here. Yes. I'm not <laughs> the only one out of the 70,000 people in the stadium that's wearing a Charger jersey. Yeah. It was, not, it was really cool. They weren't, like, hostile in any way, right? You wouldn't say – you wouldn't consider them, like, hostile, just definitely poking fun at the fact that you were an away fan visiting, you know, a home playoff game, basically. I mean, any game where you go to, like, when you're the away team, you're going to get stuff from everybody. You get people that curse at you. There was nothing like going to Philly. It's not like if you go to Philly wearing a Mets jersey, you're going to get, thrown like, batteries thrown at you. Oh, I, yeah, I've heard they're, they're, they're brutal. And that's another thing, too. I mean, I'm sure that's one thing players are definitely not going to miss. You know, Philly has banned, you know, the Eagles have banned fans for. Just having, having not not having any fans basically. But I, yeah, definitely. Oh yeah, I, Philly's definitely brutal. I, I I couldn't even imagine what it would be like, you know, just being, you know, you know, just going to Philly. I, I've never been, to, I've never been to a Philly game before, you know, in any in any sort of capacity. But I just heard they're just every one of my friends that has gone. They're just saying they're ruthless. They don't they don't give a shit basically. They will throw stuff at you. They'll curse at you the entire game. It doesn't matter. You could be – I've literally had friends that went when we were like 11, 12 years old, and they're like, they don't care how what your age is. They will curse at you. They'll throw shit at you. They don't They don't give a shit, basically. It doesn't matter. Oh, they don't care at they all. They do not care. They, uh, I wanted to go um, a few years ago. The Chargers ended up winning the game. It was Chargers-Eagles. Um. And it was in Philly. I kept telling my dad, like, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. He's like, no, Philly fans are brutal. Yes. We can't. He goes, if we go, we can't wear jerseys. We can't clap for the Chargers. We just have to watch the game and just clap in our minds. And I was like, oh, well, that's no fun. He goes, yeah, that's why we're not going to Philly. <laughs> and, like, my dad would tell me horror stories about going to Oakland Back in the day for Raiders Chargers games. I've heard they're ruthless too, the Raiders fans against Chargers fans. They're they're like the Eagles fans of the East. And they basically like my dad drove once and he had a Chargers hat in his back windshield and they bashed it in oh with uh baseball. That's, bats. that's insanity. They just sound ruthless. And now and now Oakland doesn't even have their fans anymore because they've moved to Vegas. Exactly. So it's not like they can even, I, worry, I, they can even worry about that anymore. I have a cousin who is a diehard Raiders fan, and even he is like, I don't know if I could root for my team right now. They're in Vegas. Like, this is not the Raiders. Mm-hmm. No, it's definitely not. It's definitely going to be very, very different. You know, like, who's going to really want to root for the Raiders and fucking Vegas of all places? And I don't even understand why they would move. I understand that, 
it was definitely a little bit harder for them, you know, having to share a baseball stadium with the athletics and everything like that. But you could have kept the Raiders in Oakland. I don't, I don't really see the problem. And it's not even that they, you know, it, it was the fact that a majority of owners decided, yeah, Oakland should move somewhere else. I, you know, the Raiders should move somewhere else. It, that definitely pissed off a lot of fan bases too, because it was like, you know, just, uh, just almost like a total slap in the face to a team like the Raiders who definitely have this storied history of, you know, having such one of the more passionate fan bases in the league. And, you know, they, uh, you love seeing some of the players that they acquire and everything like that. And, and, and it's just, like I said, it was just a huge slap in the face to people who have, you know, you know, lived and, and died by that team their entire lives, basically. But, you know, I don't, I yeah. don't, I don't see how, the, how the Vegas Raiders regained that fan base that they had in Oakland. I just don't see it happening whatsoever. I think the Vegas Raiders are going to become what the Chargers were in the soccer stadium because it's going to be opposing fans. Like, it, say, if, if I'm a Chargers fan, right, mm-hmm. and I look at my dad or I look at my friends, I'm like, hey, Chargers Raiders in Vegas, let's go to Vegas. Let's do a weekend in Vegas and go to Chargers Raiders. Mm-hmm. That's what they're going to depend on. It's like tourism. It's like people from all over the country, they want to go to Vegas. So... A, a, like opposing teams fans are going to come in like even especially people from new york mm. you get a group of 10 jets fans or giants fans it's like oh giants raiders this weekend let's go for a mm-hmm. weekend let's go let's do the strip clubs let's do the casinos let's do the bars let's do the clubs and then we'll go to the game on yeah Sunday. absolutely i i think it's like de- definitely the tourism part of it's going to be interesting too and you know I, i'm curious to know how well it's it's definitely not going to probably be good at all because i'm sure if they even allow, I'm sure they won't even allow fans at all this season. So definitely look to 2021 to get a better understanding and a better view of if Vegas actually is the right place to have a football team. You know, we'll definitely get a better view of it there. I mean, in, in Arizona, when the Cardinals are good, the fans are, are great in Arizona when the Cardinals are a good team. They love Larry Fitzgerald. They definitely are going to love Kyler Murray for the you know immediate future. They love the run that they went on in 2009, you know, when they went to the Super Bowl beating the Eagles, I believe, in the conference championship game that year. You know, when the Cardinals are good, the fans love them. The fans absolutely adore that team. And they, like I said, they adore Larry Fitzgerald, basically. But we'll definitely see how it goes for those fan bases. I think it'll be an interesting storyline to watch, you know. And and just to think about this, too, I got to ask, because we were talking about Lamar Jackson before. Do you believe that if Lamar Jackson leads the Ravens to another great record that the top seed in the entire AFC again, and let's say Lamar Jackson loses another playoff game, he loses yet another one, are you going to look at him right now as that young player who just is not proven himself yet at all? I, I would still – I don't know how I would look at him because if he's going to put up another MVP season, the – like you're going to look at the upside – of hey, this guy's going to bring us probably division championships, fans into the stadium, and he's going to always give the fans hope. So I wouldn't give up on. No, him. I'm not even talking about but, giving up on Lamar. I'm just talking about as looking at him as he's a regular season quarterback than he is a playoff quarterback. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah, I look at him now. I'm like, oh, it doesn't look like he can get it done in the playoffs. He's going to have to prove otherwise, mm-hmm. and it's it's a struggle for him. Because oh, I've seen him live playing in the playoffs, struggled against Tennessee, he struggled against the Chargers, and 
it's like he's going to get that reputation of he can't get it mm-hmm. done. And, that, and that's the thing, too, right now that I think people are looking at with Dak Prescott is, do you believe that Prescott is actually – people – this is the thing, and we could talk about this with anybody in our fraternity, too. Do you believe that Prescott is worth more than $100 million, even $120 million as a quarterback? No. How much would you rate – would you rate him uh, – how about this? Would you go higher or lower at $75 million? I would honestly say, depending on how many years that deal is, so say it's like three years, seventy-five million. Mm-hmm. That's a like I think that's the most I would pay him is twenty-five million a year, and even that's overpaying him. But you're gonna have to just to keep him mm-hmm. around. I mean, Prescott. I don't that, know. Prescott's been that big thing since Romo, basically for the Cowboys. You know the the Cow- but the Cowboys, their biggest problem. Another thing that we're looking at. They haven't even, I mean, even though they've won playoff games on the Prescott and, and Romo, they never went to the conference championship game, which is a very huge problem with them is they have the team, the Cowboys are that kind of team where they can assemble this great NFL team and then they can't even make it far in the playoffs. And that's a big problem that they've been looked at now ever since they were America's team in the 90s is, yeah, they were definitely a great team at one point in the 90s, but the 90s were over 20 years ago now. So we have to look at it now, and people have to say, yeah, we have Dak Prescott. We have Ezekiel Elliott. They just signed um, – I think his name is Everson Griffin, I believe his name – I forget what his name is. but Yeah, it's uh, Everson Griffin. He's a defensive lineman out of Minnesota. He's great. Yeah, and he's he a is great. Pickup. And I know he's great. I've seen his highlights, everything like that. He is a great defensive player. You know, they have such a good team defensively and offensively but it's and it's the the biggest problem with them is it's not even like they're a team that you know yeah they make the playoffs one year and yeah maybe they miss it by a game or two they're the the Cowboys are a team that everybody's like they should be a great team every single season but they aren't they should be a Super Bowl contender every single year but they ended up not being a Super Bowl contender I mean they lost out to the Eagles and the Eagles practically had people off the street playing for them basically and they made it in the in the playoffs over the Cowboys I think uh this is going to be a big prove it year for Dak because they made the moves on defense Mm -hmm. this is the best defense Dallas has had in years they've got now not only Amari Cooper but C.D. Lamb you've got Ezekiel Elliott the offensive line is still strong if Dak Prescott can't lead them to at the very least a conference championship Get rid mm-hmm. of him. I, I agree. He is not. He's not worth all that big money to not even make it farther than a divisional round appearance. He like, I get it. He's decent, but if you throw other quarterbacks in that position, they might have even gotten you a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. If you put Carson Wentz in that position, if you put Philip Rivers in that position, if you put Deshaun Watson in that position, they're getting you a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Because they're good quarterbacks. Dak is an okay quarterback on a really, really good team that makes him look fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I think it's definitely something where it's like you said, it's a storyline that they have to look at, you know, this year is, you know, Zeke is definitely obviously going to be around the Cowboys for a while. There's no doubt about that. But Dak is a player who can easily be replaced and, you know, you talk about a player like Deshaun Watson or a Kyler Murray, even in that case, I feel like any of them could lead in those situations other than Dak. You know, I, they, you know, they, people like to overrate, you know, they, they overrate Dak a lot. I think they, a lot of people look at Dak as, 
you know, all the, he's this great quarterback. And, and I feel like they refer way too much to that 2016 season when he brought them to a 13 and three record, you know, and a divisional round appearance when they lost against the Green Bay Packers. You know, I think they overrate that season too much. I feel like that was Dak's, you know, when Dak had that season in 2016, I was like, yes, like Aaron Rodgers and the Packers defeated them, but they'll be around for a while. And even though they've been around, they haven't been that team that really scares you, basically. They don't scare teams, basically. They really don't scare a lot of teams when they go up against them. They look at them as a team that can be handled. And I don't know if you agree with that, but I believe that they're a team that if people were to look at them on the schedule of who are we playing in the wild card round or who are we playing in the divisional round, and they see it's the Dallas Cowboys, a lot of the time these players are thinking, we can handle them. We, we can handle Zeke. We can handle Dak. We can handle Amari Cooper. We can handle everybody on that team. Like, what do you believe about that? I think that if you're going up against the Cowboys, if you can neutralize Dak Prescott, you're winning the game. Mm-hmm. Because every team needs a quarterback. And a uh, perfect example, I mean, I, I sound biased, but a couple of years ago, the Chargers played the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. I sat there with a Cowboys fan watching the game and the number one thing that happened to the Cowboys the whole game was Joey Bosa was getting to Dak Prescott mm-hmm. and he couldn't get anything done. Yeah, and that's and so, I remember I remember watching that game too. I, I always go, you know, to my aunts on Thanksgiving and there's always football on and I, I just remember that whole entire game thinking, My God, like they're like they're taking it to them right now. They're not even remotely in this game, the, the Cowboys. They're just totally out of it. The Chargers are just completely annihilating them, basically. That was a great game. I look back on it because Philip Rivers, he was just like having mm-hmm. fun. Because there's so many times in that game that he would just see Keenan Allen over the middle and just like chuck it up yeah. to him. And like there was three times where he hit Keenan Allen with like a slant pass and it turned into a touchdown, yeah, I... which was like fantastic. But the, the Cowboys were flustered mm-hmm. because they didn't expect anybody to get to Dak. And Bosa did. Mm-hmm. And Ingram did. And Perryman did. And that whole defense got to him. Yeah, absolutely. And they picked him off a couple mm-hmm. times. I think another thing that I really enjoy, too, is thinking about teams that, you know, can get to the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, I, I remember in 2016, I, all I remember thinking to myself is, I really thought that if the Giants played the Cowboys – instead of the Green Bay Packers. I really thought either way. I think if whether you were going to have the Packers go up against them or the Giants, I think either team was going to beat the Dallas Cowboys in that divisional round. Because I look at the Giants that year, they just knew how to, they just, like Coughlin and, or not even Coughlin, that was, that was McAdoo. McAdoo and Manning and, and Odell, they just knew how to beat, they knew how to beat the Cowboys that year. In week one, it was like a, yeah, we probably got a little bit lucky with them not being able to get out of bounds, and we won the game in the final few seconds by one point. And then you had week like 12 or 13, whatever it was, or maybe even week 14, where they just absolutely – like it was like they're, all right, let's see if they actually can beat us again. Yeah, we're at, giant, you know, we're at MetLife now, but let's see if they can actually beat us. And all of a sudden you just see that they just knew how to take it to the Cowboys, and they knew that – hey, if the Giants were to face the Cowboys in the playoffs, you know, you're really looking at possibly the Giants going into, you know, Arlington and taking it to the Cowboys again and going to another championship game. I don't under, I don't know, but like I said, it's one of those things where 
we'll never know. We'll never know if the Giants would have beaten the Cowboys. We obviously know the Packers did. But do you think with that defense that the Giants had, they would have beaten the Cowboys in that divisional round had it been them and not the Packers? I think it's a strong possibility. I love looking back and thinking about things like what-ifs. And uh, especially with the Giants in that first Super Bowl where they beat the Patriots, if you look back to that season, you look back to the AFC Championship game, Patriots-Chargers, LaDainian Tomlinson didn't play. Mm-hmm. Philip Rivers played with a torn ACL. If you change those two things, and they only lost by, I think, a little bit more than a touchdown, like eight to nine points they might have lost by, mm-hmm. a lot of people think that the Chargers would have won that game. Look at the history of Eli Manning against the Chargers. That's the one team that he could never beat. Mm-hmm. And obviously and you have – and think about this. You, you would have a storyline also of not just – like, obviously, the storyline going into it was, can the Giants knock off the undefeated New England Patriots? In that storyline, if it had been the Giants and the Chargers in Super Bowl Forty Two, it was it would have been the, the battle of the first overall pick and the second overall pick and how the first overall pick ended up getting traded to the second overall pick. And, and, and it would have been just an interesting storyline to see Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers go up against each other in the Super Bowl for sure. You know, definitely. Absolutely. I, I look back. And I think if, if I could go back and change one thing in history, it, it would have been like keep Philip Rivers healthy and throw Ladanian Tomlinson in that game. And I would come back to present day to a Chargers, like that they would have a Super Bowl in the books. Mm-hmm. Is that Eli, he always proved he could never beat the Chargers. And I like the Giants too. They're one of my teams that I'll like root for if they're going up against anybody but the Chargers. But it's always Eli couldn't beat him. Eli couldn't beat him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I look back. Like, damn it, that one thing would have been different. If only we would have won that game, that Super Bowl it, it, yeah, it would have been, been a lot the... different. Could have been a lot different. And Strahan would have retired with no – he would have retired with no rings, and Eli just would have had one less ring. And he might not even have any rings because who knows what that does to his confidence level after, after 2007, even though they went on to beat the Patriots in 2012 for the second time. You know, who knows if Eli even makes it to that Super Bowl? You know, who knows if the Giants even are a relevant team after that season? You know, nobody nobody knows for sure what would happen if we can go back in time and change a few things. So it's definitely, you know, like you said, I, just like you, I definitely love looking at what-if scenarios in any, in any sports, you know, for that matter. You know, just thinking about what it would be like if certain aspects of the time was changed and you know just certain circumstances were different and we saw differences and 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 games and possibilities were could have been endless you know and then if the cowboys had come back and won that game in 2016 you know what they beat in the falcons i don't think they even would have stood a chance because that falcons team that went to the super bowl was just a highly offensive team and their ground game with Devontae freeman was just unbelievable to watch And, and julio jones and matt ryan having this mvp caliber season you know, the Falcons were just a great team to watch. And obviously, like you said, the what ifs, the what ifs just go on for hours and hours on end of what if this happens at a certain time? What if this happens? What if that happens? So, like you said, the, the, the what if scenarios are just amazing to think about. So another thing, another question I want to ask is, you know, we look at the two young quarterbacks in the game right now of like Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson. And, and obviously Patrick Mahomes has his ring. So, you know, Mahomes has his ring. He's got all his accolades so far. So if you had to pick who you believe would be the next person more likely to win a Super Bowl, 
are you saying that it's probably, would you think it's going to be Kyler Murray or Deshaun Watson? It's hard for me to pick between those two, but I think I'm going to say Deshaun Watson is going to get it first. I would say that both of them are going to end up getting mm. it, but the Cardinals need to hit more of a stride and they need to add more pieces to their mm. team. Like they're going to have a great offense, but and the the fact that seven teams are going to make it into the playoffs this year, that's going to help the Cardinals a lot. They're going to be in contention for longer. But with the Texans, they're such a good team. And if they don't make the playoffs, let alone go far in the playoffs this year, I think Bill O'Brien is out. I think Bill O'Brien should have been out a while ago. He should have been he out. Should have been out. He, should have, he yeah. should have been out after that divisional game against the Chiefs. How do you go up by – you know, twenty four by by twenty four points. You're up twenty four to nothing, and you blow it. And not even like an entirety of a game. You blow it in one quarter, basically. I I just don't get how they did that. I I don't get how we looked at Bill O'Brien, how the Texans looked at Bill O'Brien after that game, and said, "Yeah, we could keep you around for a little little bit longer." He would have been gone if if anybody else, if one of us, he would have been gone, and he should have been gone. Definitely. He should have been gone. I think uh, after this year, uh, more than likely, we're going to see a head coach mm-hmm. change. As long as they get the right head coach, this is a team that, one, I would say deserves to win a Super Bowl, and two, they have the talent to do yeah, it. Yeah, they absolutely have the talent. And, and Watson's if, such a great young QB. You know, him watching him and Mahomes go up against each other is great, and watching him and Lamar go up against each other is definitely great to watch, even if... You know, even though the Ravens destroyed the Texans, you know, it, it's still fun to watch these young quarterbacks go at each other. Definitely. I think with Deshaun Watson uh, and just the Texans team in general, it, the talent on this team, my favorite non-charger is on this team, and it's J.J. Watt. Mm-hmm. And if if anybody in this league deserves to win a Super Bowl and has the talent to push a team and lead a defense – to win a Super Bowl, it's J.J. Watt. Mm-hmm. I just think that it's the head coach. Yeah, I, it's the head I coach. Think it is too. It's Bill O'Brien, and for the Cardinals with Kyler, he just needs more time to develop. He'll need more and, weapons. I mean, he's obviously he has D Hop, which is great. You know, that's that's Watson's former big target. So he's got you know for for a second year player, that's a big step to take when you're acquiring a player with a high caliber wide receiver talent like DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, absolutely. It'll boost it'll boost his confidence a lot a lot more. It'll make his confidence definitely go through the roof in my opinion because him having a player like I said with the skill talent and the caliber like DeAndre Hopkins, it'll push himself a lot more and it'll make him definitely look at him. He'll definitely be his, you know, D-Hop will definitely be his top target. There's no question about it. It's going to be his top target. But the big thing that we all have to ask ourselves is, you know, is obviously it's it's not enough, but it's not enough to win a Super Bowl. But is the Kyler Murray DeAndre Hopkins duo, you know, able to propel this team into a playoff spot? Basically, I think there's a possibility that it could. I think there's a few divisions that I'm looking at where this whole seven-team playoffs could get the entire division in the playoffs. And the the NFC West is definitely one mm. of them. You look at all four of those teams, I'm not counting anybody out, especially if a 9-7 and seven record can get you into the playoffs. 
I'm not counting anybody in the AFC South out. I wouldn't count anybody out in even you look at the NFC North are a bunch of underrated teams and this is the whole 17 playoffs is going to really like extend that. Oh yeah, a lot a lot they, more teams that usually should make it in but don't make it in, you know, those teams are going to be in the playoff field this year. Like you could see an entire division get into the playoffs, which I like that because sometimes an entire division deserves to get into the playoffs. Mm. I think the AFC and NFC West, definitely the AFC South, uh, arguably possibly the NFC South and the NFC North. Mm-hmm. It, it's basically everybody but the the Eastern divisions and the AFC North has a, a shot of getting the entire division into football into the playoffs. Uh, so we're talking about but, well, we're talking about divisions. So I, I just want to get into this thing, you know. We look at a team, a division like the NFC South, and it's and it's got good teams. There's no doubt about it. The two, you know, storylines to watch is going to be Brady and Breeze now in that division, which is, it's remarkable to know that we're going to see at least two times a year we're going to see a Brady Breeze a Breeze matchup. You know, two future Hall of Famers, you know, Super Bowl champions among those among those players, you know, MVPs, everything like that. So, you know, just the question I got to ask is. There, there's two questions I'm going to ask. One is, do you think that Brady and Gronk with this new highly, you know, Tampa Bay offense with, you know, Godwin and, and, and uh, Gronk and, and, uh, and Mike Evans, obviously, do you see that? The first question I'm going to ask is, do you think that Brady flourishes under a new entire system? Because obviously he's in his late, he's in the late stages of his career. He's over 40 years old now. He's transitioning from a team that he literally spent more than 15 years on, and now he's going to an entirely different team, an entirely different system, new atmosphere, new everything, basically. And the second question that I'll ask to that is, do you see it being either the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or do you see it being the New Orleans Saints as division winners? So to answer the first question, I think Tom Brady, he's going to do all right, and I think – he hasn't had weapons like this since Randy Moss. Uh-huh. And back then, Belichick even let him be more flashy and sling the ball around and actually throw it deep. Um, and I do think he's going to do great in this Tampa Bay offense, especially they have an improved offensive line over the Patriots. Yeah, Bruce Arians is like a traditional – old-school type coach, so I think Tom Brady will gel well with him. Mm-hmm. There's probably a lot of mutual respect between the two of them, and it's somebody, like, if Tom Brady was going to a team where Sean McVay was the head coach, who is 10 years younger than Brady, I think it would be a little bit of a challenge. Or, well, like, someone like Matt LaFleur, a younger coach wouldn't be able to gel with Brady. Meanwhile, I think an older coach that's similar to Belichick would work, like Bruce Arians. Mm-hmm. But as far as the division winner, I still see the Saints taking it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only way the Saints don't is if there's a lot of turmoil within the locker room. And I think if like there's everything with social justice and if there's really a rift in the locker room, especially with Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. Yeah, with the whole thing with Brees saying that he 
thinks that players should stand. And obviously his teammates did not agree with that statement. There still could be, even though they say the beef is squashed, there could still be a rift with that. It, 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 in 2020 and, and in society nowadays, stuff like that could definitely pull a team entirely apart from one another. That's that's the only thing that I could see actually making the Saints not win that division is if they're like getting pulled apart a bit and they're they have all have different opinions politically and they let that get in the way of the game of football. Mm. Other than that, talent wise, coaching wise, system wise, they're as good as the Bucks are going to be this year, and I think they're going to be really good. They're not going to be the Saints. And the Saints are still going to win that division, and they're going to be a favorite for the Super Bowl, even though I don't think they're going to make it there. Yeah, the Saints are a team that should. They're they're the Saints are that kind of team for me where they should be such a good team in my opinion, but they're not. You know, they they just never find find their themselves getting over the hump and finding them. You know, even though Breeze is a Super Bowl champion and he beat Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl, you know, all the way back, you know, over you know ten years ago now. You know, he's definitely proven himself to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, he has the most passing yards in NFL history. You know, Brees is this, you know, he was looked at as this little guy, basically, for a quarterback. But he's got such big talent, basically, and such big aspirations that he's obviously going to go down as one of the greatest QBs to ever play the game of football. But Brees is someone who I feel like, you know, the Saints should be such a good team and should be going to at least an NFC championship game or Super Bowl at least every single season, you know, should have those aspirations, but they don't. And I, and I just can't figure it, ex- figure it out exactly. I mean, Michael Thomas is such a great wide receiver, but they just, they just don't make it to that promised land. So it's definitely something where, you know, if, if they can gel well together and the Saints are just on it every single game this season, there'll be an easy shot to go far in a playoff run and possibly make that Super Bowl in, in Tampa Bay in February. So it's hard to determine what's going to happen. But, you know, I think it's just something where we have to look at it very, very closely. And if, if it all goes well, it all goes well for the Saints, and they have another division winner under their belt, and they won't have to really worry about Brady until some point in the playoffs. You know, but we'll see about that. So I think it's definitely a, a storyline to watch of how Brady's going to do in this first season. And, and this is another thing, too, is do you see the Buccaneers having 11 or 12 wins this season? I do. I, I can put them at, like, 11 and 5, and I think they could even have the same record as the Saints, and the Saints might get some sort of a tiebreaker, divisional records, all that good stuff. So I, I do think that they're going to win a lot of games. They have a favorable schedule. And Brady being in the warm weather, being the fact that he's Tom Brady, I like his chances in Tampa Bay. But there's also the chance that things don't work out and Brady ends up sucking. Yeah, I mean, that could be that little, you know, it's obviously a two-year contract that he signed with the Buccaneers. And, you know, it's something where people are going to look at it. And if 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 he's good in Tampa Bay and he produces like two good seasons, but doesn't win a Super Bowl, people are going to look at it as Brady was good until the end. Even if he didn't win, you know, Super Bowls in Tampa Bay, people are always going to look at him as, yeah, he was good, but he didn't bring Tampa Bay those, you know, the Super Bowl rings that he thought he was going to give to them. But if Brady goes there and wins, because it's another thing too, this is a big storyline that people are going to be looking at at the NFL this season. 
is how does Belichick do without Brady and how does Brady do without Belichick? You know, it's a, it's going to be a proven test of does Belichick need Brady or does Brady need Belichick? If, like you're saying, if Brady goes to Tampa Bay, obviously, and, and he sucks, people are going to look at it and say, yeah, maybe he really should have just needed Belichick and he should have retired after he was done. Uh, or, but if he goes to Tampa Bay and wins not just one Super Bowl, but if he wins two Super Bowls, people are going to say, yeah, I, I definitely think that Brady was fine even without Belichick. And he's obviously going to go down as the greatest QB in, in modern history, basically. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I, and, you know, I, I think this is, like you said, Brady's most loaded team that he's had since Moss. And you're only naming one player in Randy Moss, who is one of the greatest, you know, receivers of all time. And he is just someone who he's got Gronk and he lo- and obviously Gronk loves him and Brady loves Gronk. That's going to be a, a, a scary thing to watch, but he's got Godwin who had a career season, if I'm not mistaken. And Mike Evans is just this monster who I discussed this in a few episodes ago when I did a podcast with, you know, Vega, you know, he was, you know, Mike Evans is a total monster and who knows what he'll be like. Cause we haven't seen playoff Mike Evans yet. So who knows Mike Evans could flourish in a postseason series in a postseason game, I'm sorry. And, you know, like I said, Evans is just a total monster, over 200 pounds. You know, he's someone who – he is a wide receiver who I think honestly scares me the most in the NFL. And I don't know if that's a rightful thing to get scared of, but he, he personally scares me every time he's on the field. He's definitely a top-five receiver in the league. Mm-hmm. In, uh, between him, Hopkins – uh, Tyreek Hill, Keenan Allen, like you've got so much good receiving talent, and even Chris Godwin, he's up there too. You can't like uh, judge a book by his cover. He's not the biggest of names, but he's a great talent. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Brady is going to have him there, especially with the better offensive line, it's it just it's definitely something that people are going to want to watch this season. Brady is he's going to put up numbers. And even with like a crappy Patriots team, he still put up decent numbers. So now with yeah. a good Bucks team, and as long as he has the right play, uh, like the playbook, he'll be good. Yeah, I think he'll put up big numbers. I see probably like around four thousand yards for him, probably over thirty touchdowns. Mm. And like even James put up big numbers last year. It was just the interceptions that. Yeah, absolutely. Him. And Brady's not someone who really. Brady doesn't throw a lot of picks, really. Brady, it's 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 rare where you really see Tom Brady get picked off a lot, and Brady doesn't get picked off a lot. That was Winston's biggest, you know, flaw was he just threw a lot of interceptions. So, and I think it's I think it's definitely good that Winston not only left Tampa Bay, but Winston went to a divisional opponent. Winston went to the New Orleans Saints, and you talk about leadership. We talked about that earlier. You know, there's definitely something where he can get leadership from a player and a high. QB talent in Drew Brees, he can definitely get, you know, the leadership that he, you know, desperately needs, in my opinion of, yeah, you're definitely looked at as a great quarterback, but you have flaws and this is how you can work on them. And Brees can definitely help Winston a lot when Brees is gone. Yeah, definitely. If Winston has to end up taking over in New Orleans, you know, and he all of a sudden flourishes, people are going to attribute that to being under Drew Brees, you know, because obviously when, when, Jameis Winston went to Tampa Bay. He was immediately looked at as, yeah, you're in Tampa Bay. Like, you're the starting quarterback. Like, this is all you now. He was just thrown into it. 
And I think that definitely can mess with a rookie's head a lot too, as a rookie is going to think I have control of this team and I'm the quarterback. And I definitely, you know, since I have control of the team, I, I call the plays, I call the shots, everything like that. I'm the guy. And it obviously didn't work like that for Winston, but like we, like we just said, if he goes, he's in new Orleans now, if under Drew Brees, and if when Drew Brees eventually retires, and that'll be very soon, if Brees retires and Winston's still in New Orleans and he flourishes a lot, like I said, everybody will attribute that to James Winston being under the leadership of a Hall of Fame quarterback in Drew Brees. And that's the same thing that happened with Aaron Rodgers when Brett Favre was in the later stages of his career. When Brett Favre finally left, Aaron Rodgers was the backup to him. And Rodgers is one of the top quarterbacks in the entire league right now. And a lot of people will, in my opinion, attribute that to being under a leader and a quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, in Brett Favre. A lot of quarterbacks had to go through stuff like that. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, look at Jimmy G. Jimmy G had to play under Tom Brady, and now he's the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, and he's led them to a Super Bowl. Definitely. you, Jimmy G, you got to look at, obviously, Patrick Mahomes for a year, Philip Rivers for three years. Uh, or two, actually, under Drew Brees. It's when you sit behind somebody, you learn from them. And a lot of times it's coming out of college. It's the leadership. It's not even the talent. With the talent's all there. Yeah. You look at guys now like Tua and guys like Justin Herbert that are going to sit there or Jarrett Stidham even that are going to sit behind somebody. Mm-hmm. And they're going to learn. And I think the longer that they do sit, especially in Tua's case, because he may or may not like tweak that injury. Mm-hmm. The hip is the definitely a concern th- for Tua. The hip is the, is the biggest concern in Miami for Tua. So the biggest, like the longer they sit, I think the better off they are. And the better off we are as fans, because we're going to watch them put on a show. I think the longer Herbert sits, I'm excited to see what Herbert does in L.A., especially with this team, the Herbert to Keenan Allen, Herbert to Justin Herbert, uh, to uh, to Hunter Henry. Yeah. I'm getting my H's. But to Eckler, to Mike Williams, to even the rookies, K.J. Hill and Joe Reed, mm. you have that talent. You have Tua is going to be flinging the ball around the field in Miami. Even Joe Burrow to A.J. Green is – uh, like that's going to be an interesting prospect, but it's they have to sit. Joe Burrow obviously isn't, but they have to. They have to learn. They'll all have to learn. That's the big I thing. think Tua at least has some has a leader in front of him. Herbert, he has a good quarterback that isn't obviously the best leader in front of him. So I don't know how that's going to work. Mm-hmm. I just hope that Anthony Lynn like takes a one-on-one approach with him and shows him like this is how you gotta be a leader. This is how you gotta step up, lead this team because they're gonna rally around you if you're a good leader. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing with Nick Foles. He's a great leader. He's a decent quarterback. He's not an MVP guy, but he's a great leader, and he makes he made those Eagles teams like want to play for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree, and and. You know, I'm going to be ending this episode soon. So one of the last things I just want to talk about before we get into it is, you know, do you believe that like if you had to pick your Super Bowl matchup, your your pretend your your Super Bowl matchup 
for you know this upcoming Super Bowl. It'll be Super Bowl Fifty Five. It'll be in Tampa Bay. You know, if you had to pick what you believe would be the most likely outcome, this is obviously a preseason pick. So we'll see how we are in Week Eight of the season. If you had to pick your Super Bowl matchup for Super Bowl Fifty Five, who would you think it's going to be? As much as I hate to say it, it's definitely the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFC is more wide open. I think you look at the Saints, you look at the 49ers, uh, but I, I'm going to go with a bit of a wild card, and it's just because I think they want to prove that they're still one of the best teams in the NFL, regardless of what talent they have on their team, and it's because of their quarterback and of their coach. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say Chiefs-Seahawks. You know what? That's actually funny because I was thinking – I was going to say either it was going to be the Chiefs or the Seahawks. I I definitely think the Chiefs are a lock in the AFC. I just don't see Mahomes getting beat. I just don't see it. And and even even then, like, if you beat Mahomes, you're going to have to face him in the championship game, in the AFC championship game, which would be very hard because the Chiefs, if you play that game at home, you're going to have a really hard time beating the fans at that stadium in Arrowhead. So that's definitely Absolutely. something that's going to be watched. So I think the Chiefs are definitely a lock for the AFC. I don't see any team competing with them right now. But for the NFC, I'm really thinking this. And I and even though I didn't, I thought the Packers were an overrated team. I Even though they were a great team, they made it to the NFC Championship game against the 49ers. I just didn't see them getting all the hype that they really got. So if I had to pick any team, I would say Chiefs-Packers is a great matchup too. Chiefs-Packers, it's a throwback to uh, Super Bowl One, mm-hmm. But a very likely matchup and would definitely be a, a very a very good one to watch, obviously, with Mahomes and then Aaron Rodgers. It, it'd be insane to watch. It would be great. Quarterback-wise, that would just be an amazing, amazing matchup to, to watch. I think uh, the teams to watch, definitely the Packers, definitely – any team in the AFC West, I think, is if the Rams. They could be NFL, could be mediocre. We don't know. The Cardinals are a team that I could see them coming out and being the dark horse and like getting from a wild card to the Super Bowl, like the Giants mm-hmm. did. And the uh, obviously the Forty ers getting in. Other than that, the Packers and the Saints are my picks, like more, more like safe picks. But if I had to throw a wild card in there that I think they're just going to spark it up, especially now that they have Jamal Adams, uh, God knows what's happening with Clowney. Mm-hmm. But if they re-sign Clowney, they have Ru- as long as they have Russell Wilson and they have Pete Carroll, they're always in the game. Always. And especially in the playoffs, the Seahawks are just a different mm-hmm. team. Even if the Seahawks are the seventh seed, I still see them as like, okay, they're a threat. Mm-hmm. They could really be in the Super Bowl. Oh, absolutely. Because playoff Seahawks are a different breed. Yeah, they definitely are. And like you talked about too, Pete Carroll's probably one of the more smartest, smarter coaches in the entire league. And Russell Wilson's definitely a quarterback to watch every single game. And he plays every game like it's the fourth quarter. And he plays it like it's in his late game scenarios, and he's definitely a clutch quarterback, in my opinion. He's a Super Bowl champion, and you know he's definitely someone who you just love to watch as well as any quarterback in this league. And and just 
who you have as the toughest opponents and everything like that. I, I, I really think Wilson's just someone who, you know, he, he, he likes to turn it, really turn it up in the playoffs. And even when the Seahawks lose in playoff games, they're always in it. It doesn't matter what point in the game it is. They're always in it. They're always a team that's a threat to come back at you and, and win in a late game scenario, like in a, you know, you know, early fourth quarter push or a late fourth quarter push. They're always a team that's definitely in it, no matter what it is. So I think the Seahawks are definitely, even though they're they're a wild card pick for a Super Bowl uh, appearance, you know, I definitely see it happening. I can 100% see it happening. And and it's it'll be exciting. The, the season itself will be exciting to watch. It, you know, it doesn't matter if there's fans or not, you know, football coming back is, is a is a definitely a sign that the fall is coming and that holiday seasons are upon us and everything like that. So it's, it's amazing to know that football will be back. And even though it's, there's no preseason football, football will be back in less than a month and we'll be getting ready to watch it every single Sunday. And, you know, and they've been saying that, you know, with college football may not be happening. They've even talked about putting football games on Saturdays. So if you've got Saturdays and Sundays for football and, you know, even Mondays and Thursdays, it, it's always going to be exciting to watch a football game, turn on the television and, and see a football game being played. So I'm definitely excited to see it. And I'm sure you are, too. So, Absolutely. yeah, so I'm, I'm going to end this here. Brett, it was definitely nice having you on. Thank you for joining me. You know, we definitely. Here. Thank you for being a part of it. And I will talk to you soon. Definitely. Be good.